everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast, where every other week we bring you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you to help you connect with where your passion meets the world's deep need. This week on the podcast, we're talking with Reverend Teddy Ray, lead pastor of Offerings, First United Methodist Church in Lexington, and co-owner of North Lime Donuts. In this episode, we talk about being called to love Jesus first and foremost, and finding our second calling within community. Teddy shares his personal journey as he realized that being a pastor was more than just right and good, but who he was created to be. With insightful questions, Teddy gives us food for thought as we overcome our anxieties to find delight in our one ordinary life. Maybe it's not as hard as we thought. Let's listen. So today I'm here with Teddy Ray, and he's the lead pastor at Offering United Methodist Church and one of the co-owners of North Lime Donuts in Lexington and now in Louisville. And so I'm really excited to have Teddy Ray here today, and we're going to talk a little bit more about calling and his calling, and I'm personally interested in this subject because... I know we all have a first calling, but I don't feel like I have a second calling. You know, I'm like, I'm not a Moses or a Paul, and I don't feel like there's something I'm just supposed to do. (laughs) So I'm excited to hear from Teddy Ray, and I'm so grateful that he could stop by today. Yeah, I'm I'm actually excited to hear from you. The (laughs) the way that you led that is so interesting to me. Yeah. um, I'd love to talk about that. Can I, can we, can we talk about that first? Sure. Yeah. So... I have a first calling, but not a second calling. Yeah. First, say, say what you mean. I think first calling is everybody is called to love Jesus, and we are called by him to love him and then to love other people. Mm-hmm. That's how I understand it. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but that's how I, I understand it. But then the second calling is kind of like, I think a lot of times in America, it gets confused with what you do from eight to five. Like right. my career is my second calling. So I think a lot of, I get hung up and I think maybe a lot of people get hung up on like what, what you do eight to five. And then, but it's like, and it seems like sometimes it can be like, if I find the thing, yeah, like you, there was a time that you were like, I know being a pastor is right and good, but it's not what I was like, you didn't feel like it was your calling, you know? Yeah. And so I want to talk about that and like the moments, moments, the journey that you had that you were like, okay, this is, I know I'm called now, but then how can the rest of us know <laughs> right. that too? Yeah. What, what do we do without that calling? Do we just scrape by in life wondering what we've missed mm-hmm. or, or if God has nothing bigger for us? So what you're doing right now, mm-hmm. you, you're saying not calling. It's just, why, why are you doing it? Um, I like it. Okay. And <laughs> I got to do something, right? I like, like it. got to wake up and do something. something. Yeah. And I mean, I think the seminary is, I mean, they have a great mission or whatever, but, and I love it that I can do this and make money and pay the bills. But when people say, are you called to Asbury Seminary? I'm like, <laughs> no, but I like, you know, like, it's not like, I'm like, no, I'm not called. Like, this is not of God or like, it's not like that, but you know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you you could take a call, somebody call you and they have some great new job offer tomorrow mm-hmm. and, and you could go launch into that and you wouldn't feel like you were abandoning your calling in any way or something like that. No, right. yeah, no, yeah. not a bit. So then, then it leads to the questions of, is there something I'm supposed to be doing? You know, um, I mean, people listening to this podcast, maybe they're thinking about coming to seminary, maybe, or maybe they're just listening, but they have a decision to make. Right. Um, how do you know which decision is the right one? Gosh, 
So the the world where I hear this question most in, mm-hmm. if it's not in calling and professional world, it's uh, it's in like soulmate world, right? Yeah. Isn't this the other place yeah. that we hear it? Like, yes. how, how do I know he's the one? How do I know she's the one? And what if yes. I'm choosing the wrong one, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I I think maybe they, they probably have a lot that, um, that runs together. And I think this relates to something bigger about what our faith can speak to in this day and age. Yes. Tell us about that. Which is uh, talk about sin and anxiety about guilt, at least to me, mm-hmm. pastorally seem of less interest. There, there, I, I see less anxiety today about what's going to happen when I die uh, and mm-hmm. where will I go when I die. Mm-hmm. I see a lot more anxiety about what if I go the wrong direction while I'm alive. Uh, wh- Absolutely. Yes. What if I choose the wrong spouse? Like, mm-hmm. if this isn't the person God had for me, what happens? Mm-hmm. Like, if I break the whole future, mm-hmm. um, what if I? Right? I mean, isn't yeah. that what we're we doing? Do. It's like yeah. I broke God's plan. No, I've been one there. way. Yeah. Right. Um, and same with career and vocational things. Like, mm-hmm. what if God had this one track for me, mm-hmm. and I got off the rails? What happens? Does he create a new track or am I just forever off? Right. You know, I remember one of my aunts told me once she had done something and she's like, I'm on God's plan B for my life, which terrified me because I was like, what if I get on plan B? Right. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this whole new anxiety Mm -hmm. that's not what happens after I die, but what what happens if I go wrong Mm -hmm. while I'm living? And, And I think it applies not just to... Christians, this is, even if you don't use God language with it, this is what our society talks about. Mm -hmm. There's so much focus on self-development, self-actualization, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I be the best me I can be? Mm -hmm. All of that. And this is where I think it's a great evangelistic opportunity, first of all. At some point, we need to come back to calling stories. But yeah, yeah. uh, what an opportunity you can sit with almost anyone and say, so tell me about calling. Yeah. What, what are you made for? What are you created for? Yeah. And they can talk about that, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll come to my story with that then. Okay. Because ho- hopefully these relate. Uh, yeah, I, I was in ministry, I guess, 10 years or mm-hmm. so when I wouldn't have said calling, I wouldn't have used that word in the way that it's used. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have, if somebody said, so when did you know you were called to ministry? I would have given them this long, elaborate story of different people saying, hey, you can do this. Can you do this? And uh, I, I don't regret that. In fact, I, I really appreciate some elements of it. It was not about me yeah. Experiencing or making this decision. It was much more about community. Yeah. And I think for all of us, calling needs to have a lot more to do with community than we typically give it today. Yeah. We're very individualistic about that and lots of things, I think. Right. You go on this like, process of self-discovery and then you come announce to the world what you're supposed to be mm-hmm. rather than... I, I have a friend who is struggling through right now his future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, this is calling stuff. Yeah. He's struggling through his future. And I say to him, well, you're so incredible at this one thing. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah, 
can, am I really up to that? Can I really do that? And as we talked, I said, so this is imposter syndrome, right? And he said, oh, totally. He said, <laughs> I don't feel like I should be doing this stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, who am I? How can I be qualified? And I said, what are the people around you saying? He said, well, they keep telling me I should do this. Yeah. Like, so, so what you're saying is all of these other voices are speaking to you about, hey, mm -hmm. you're made for this mm -hmm. and you do it so well. And I said, now, if it's something that you just hate and you don't, you don't want to do, we can have a different conversation. Mm -hmm. But if you just feel like, well, who am I to do this? When everybody else is telling you, this is who you are. You can do yeah. this, right? Yeah. I love that because I think we romanticize calling or I think sometimes we think it has to be something that we hate because we've equated. I've heard this because we think that what God is going to call us to, we're <laughs> not going to like. Right. I mean, I know it must be God because I never would have chosen this on my own. It's so terrible. Right. right. Or <laughs> I wanted to do this, but I mean, I think this can totally happen, but I wanted to do this. I, you know, was on track to do this and God called me to do this and maybe I really don't like it or, I mean, you know, you know, right. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so with ministry, especially I've seen several people say, mm -hmm. only choose ministry if you couldn't do anything else. And they mean that – I've seen them specifically say that in the light of, hey, this is really hard. You're going to have all of this great loss. You can only keep doing it if you're certain that you're called to it because mm -hmm. you're going to be so miserable is mm -hmm. kind of the mm -hmm. suggestion. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've said back to some of those, yeah, there, there's some of that. But also do it if you find great joy mm -hmm. in this. And if people around you keep telling you that you should do it, mm -hmm. don't do it as a last resort because you feel like you must do it because it's good. Yes. And yes. It, so if you're having that in, in your life, and I understand why we would be hesitant to use words like calling because it would suggest <laughs> that if you go do something else, it's a total mistake and mm -hmm. you've screwed up your life. Mm -hmm. But I mean, somebody who's coming and asking me about potentially getting married mm – -hmm. I don't talk to them about, well, are they the one? What what if there's somebody <laughs> else out there for you? Right. It's, do you make each other better? Yeah. Do you delight in this person? Can you take a covenant to be with them? Yeah. And, and that's totally different language. And I, I feel like maybe we need to talk more about delight with calling. Yes. Yes, I agree. So. Yeah, but you were starting to tell your story yeah. a little bit. Uh, sorry, I keep <laughs> no, running I off those tracks. Uh, but we can get back on them, right? <laughs> we can, because so, um, there's not one plan for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So um, 10 years, didn't really have that. If people said, so when were you called? I was like, I don't know. People keep telling me to do this, and I'm doing it, and I love it. But I'm not certain. If I got another phone call today, I, I think maybe I could go do it, mm -hmm. and that'd be okay with God and mm -hmm. with me. And then our family decided to take this sabbatical uh, to Spain for a year. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important parts of that ended up being a part before I left where there was a decent bit of conversation about if we'd just go ahead and fill my job temporarily mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that I could come back to it. Mm -hmm. And that had some merit to it, especially the not being scared about what in the world happens on the other end of this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Powers was my senior pastor at the time. Mm -hmm. He was near retirement and had 
maybe he's always been this wise, but at least <laughs> you know, he had accumulated this wisdom over the years. And I remember him sitting with me and saying, you're supposed to be able to hear from God on this in this mm-hmm. year, on mm-hmm. this trip. Mm-hmm. He said, if we lock in what you're doing on the other side, we're really limiting what you're hearing. Uh, yeah. And I don't think we should lock that in. And and what a freeing decision he he made for me in that moment. Yeah. To say, uh, yeah. let's let you go and just be open to the future. Mm-hmm. And we decided for the first six months, we're only looking backward with gratitude. We're not going to wow. be anxious about the future because otherwise yeah. from the moment we put feet on the ground in Spain, I could have been anxious about what's next. Absolutely. So we said, we can't do that. Just look back just with gratitude. But then the final six months, we've got to start looking forward. And as we start doing that, some really unexpected things happen. Mm -hmm. So we refilled my job with two new people who were expected to stay. And you were okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay with that. And maybe one of the more anxious ways of being okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. But had accepted it and was, yeah, yeah, okay, it's fine. Mm -hmm. So, but one of them, uh, Jason Jackson, Mm -hmm. was the offerings pastor, continuing in that that part of my role. And he had ended up taking a full-time job in Oklahoma. Okay. And so he started conversation with me about, well, why don't you come back? This is perfect. And Mm -hmm. that seemed like it lined up just across the board. And I ended up, and I don't quietly, I don't quite know why, but I came back and told him no. Um, senior pastor Mike Powers called mm-hmm. and said, why don't you come back? And I said, I don't know what I'm doing, but I don't think this is it. Wow. And really thought that that was going to bring a lot of relief. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I don't know what it is going forward, but it's not this. Yeah. So now I can cross that off the list. And instead, it it brought just nothing but grief. Hmm. I couldn't sleep, lost my appetite. Emily, uh, my wife, starts saying, so why why is the decision no again? And She's so wise. (laughs) Right? (laughs) This is, again, Uh community around you sometimes knows your calling far better Mm -hmm. than you do. Yes, yes. And as she's asking me that, I can't put together any good answers. And then just have this voice in my head start saying, like, what do you think you're going to go do? What is it? Is this, uh-huh. is this not right and good for you? And I actually ended up, uh, first of all, I thought that they would move on. I oh, thought yeah. Yeah. Mike Powers would go ahead and move on. Mm-hmm. And instead he came back and kicked the door back open twice because they, they did it a second uh, second time. And I said no again. Wow. And they came back a third time. And then he came back a third time. And I, I want to credit his persistence. Mm -hmm. And I also don't want to entirely attribute it to that persistence. I think somewhere along the way, I recognized my own stubbornness. (laughs) I don't even know what I was rebelling, rebelling against or being Mm -hmm. stubborn against, but Mm -hmm. there was this moment of I think maybe this is calling to the point of saying, if I got the other call right now, it would be wrong to say yes to it. Oh, wow. How how did you know that? I don't know. 
You don't, I don't know. know. No, I see. I was hoping we no. would talk, and then you, after this podcast, after <laughs> then I would know <laughs> how I could figure out my calling. Right? There's for me. It, it was just uh, having had to go through that process. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that's what it is for all of us. Mm-hmm. Is you're forced to go through that process. Maybe one of the best things that could happen to you right now is somebody else call you and offer you a job. And and would you take it? Or like, how would you feel? Right. And yeah. and I'm not saying that it would be right or wrong to take it or not, uh-huh. but it forces that extra, who am I? Yes. And what does community around me tell me about who I am? And what is God telling me about who I am? Mm-hmm. And you have to make a decision. And... Uh, for me on the other end of this, there's been this different level of certainty that mm-hmm. I'm in the right spot. I think some of that may have may have had to do with my own anxieties on the front end. Yeah. That constant wanting to say, it would be okay if I went and did something else. It would be okay if I went and did something else. Mm-hmm. And maybe not allowing myself to just say, well, fine. It would be okay if I went and did something else, but this is good. And I believe I'm here for a reason. And just being able to say, I think we can call this calling. Yeah. Um, Beloved, we're children of God. And what Mm -hmm. we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we'll see him as he is. And I think we can give up all the anxieties about, will I be successful? Yes. Will I survive? And just say, um, what do I delight in and what does God delight in when I do? Mm -hmm. And those around me tell me the same. Yeah. Do you think it's always something that you enjoy, like calling in general? I mean, not, I mean, we all have bad days. Yeah. You know, like you're, you are certain that you're doing what God wants you to do or what you were, what he made you to do. So it doesn't preclude bad days. Oh gosh. Yeah. But does it like, do you think somebody could be called to do something that they hated or would their desire change? Right. So I'd want to ask those questions to, well, to the apostle Paul. Oh yeah. We're, we're beaten. We're persecuted. Mm -hmm. We are the scum of the earth. Mm-hmm. Is delight a word that Paul could use? That's a great question. I want to say he could. Yeah. For the for the glory of God, Christ, for the joy set before him endures the cross. Mm-hmm. Well, I have crazy ways to talk about delight. But... There is this, I I think that even in the hardest of hardship, there's some joy in knowing mm-hmm. that we're doing something bigger than just w- what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And and I think this is the difference between the secular versions mm-hmm. of calling that focus just on a self-actualization, self-realization, mm-hmm. l- let me be the best me. Mm-hmm. And Christian calling that goes entirely the other direction because it's not be the best you you can be. Right. It's the deny yourself, empty yourself. And in this, we are these beloved children of God who are filled by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. 
I want to make the claim that there's a deeper delight in that mm -hmm. that's free of the anxieties of self-actualization, right? Yeah, be nice. Right. The Because the self-actualization is always like, am I the best? Am I good enough? Yes. Couldn't I be better? Couldn't I be better? And it's so uh, focused on the self. Yes. And what if I'm making the wrong decisions now? Rather than the, I am no, no longer my own but thine. Right. Yeah. Or if I should have made a decision two years ago or whatever, this changed, you know, my course now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when you talk about first calling and second calling. Yeah, yeah. I think what first calling does is it calls us to really to claim I am no longer my own but thine. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in some way that almost helps second calling to go away. How so? I don't, I don't know if that's too strong a way to say that. It's all first calling. It's all mm -hmm. worship. Mm -hmm. It's all <laughs> I mean, self-emptying and being filled with Christ. And then we stop being so anxious about, well, what if I make the wrong decision with my life? It stops being all of this pers first-person language. And just, uh, that's so true. Yeah, uh, um, That's really easy to, to speak in the <laughs> abstract. It's yeah. really hard to speak in terms of when you wake up tomorrow and say, is this what I'm made to do? Right. But do you think that's even the right question then? Yeah. I want to believe that the more we are immersed in the story of God mm -hmm. and more immersed in worship, mm -hmm. we may still agonize over those little decisions. Yeah. I think maybe we'll start to recognize them as really little decisions, mm -hmm. not the big, all-consuming, what if I make the wrong decision sort of things. Mm -hmm. I remember going through some of that when my husband and I got married and I was very much like, is, is he the right one? Like, you know, I didn't think there was only one exactly, yeah. but I was like, is, is this going to be right? Like I kind of wanted to guarantee that it was all going to, you know, turn out fine, you know? Right. And so I remember we were talking one day and I was like, how do we know that this is God's will? You know, like, both of us want it. Like, how do we know? And he said something very similar to what you said. He said, well, is it what you want, Heidi? And I was like, well, I don't know right now, but that's like, that's a good question because I don't think in that instance, God was going to be like, hey, Heidi, you have to marry him. Like if I was like, no, I don't want to, you know, right. <laughs> you know? that's not a good recipe to start out with, but yeah. That you do it out of pure duty. Yeah. 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 And uh, the, the Christian life, I mean, there's duty, right? Mm -hmm, absolutely. But uh, I, I think that duty and our worship end up, the, the, they end up coming closer and closer together to where mm. it gets difficult to see the difference. I, I just keep thinking for the joy set before him, he endured the yeah. cross. So then... Could it be that what I come to work and do every day, I do it well or try to do it well? Yeah. That's my calling. If I like slacked at work, would you say that, you know, I'm not living into my calling? Does that, 
Do you see what I'm saying or am I completely off base here? Yeah, so why would you slack at work? Because you don't feel like it's your calling. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> so it's circular. Yeah. You slack at this because you, there's something or, else you should really be doing. Yeah, or you can be like, yeah, this isn't what I'm made to do, so I just do it. It's what I do from 8 to 5 or, you know. Right. Yeah, which gets into the bigger questions about, like, wh- what do you do when you're stuck anywhere and you say, I don't think I should be doing this. I have a friend right now who's uh-huh. in a job that he does not like. He's mm-hmm. already planning to quit, mm-hmm. but for now, it's where he feels like he needs to be. He's yeah. getting a paycheck, yeah. right? So what do you do? Is there a way to to wake up each day and do it to the glory of God? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? Yeah. It's a great question that I don't have a great answer to. Yeah. Yeah. I think it um I think it's too small to look at these fragmentary pieces of our life and say is this God's calling or not. He knit us together in our mother's womb. Mhm. And he's given us every breath that we breathe. And every day is to his glory. Mm-hmm. And that he's given us to delight in him. And I'd like to believe that even in drudgery, somewhere <laughs> somewhere, each breath we take during that is a breath given by God. Yeah. It's always interesting to me when you see that even people in big and high up places, uh, I mean, our most common phrase for that is he still puts his pants on one leg at a time, right? Yeah, yeah. We don't avoid a lot of just the commonness of life. Mm -hmm. In Spain, I had a lot of people who thought that we were living like a year on vacation. Uh Uh-huh. And... We were we were doing actual work mm-hmm. too, and I said, "But you know, there's also this difference on on vacation. You're able for a week to avoid a lot of the common work, mm-hmm. but for a year, you're not." I said, right. "There's still a lot of you know, doing the dishes and going to the grocery uh-huh. and just uh, all of the common dailiness." And of you were life. doing some like work, like right. with, in a church too, right? It yeah, we were serving with a church there. Mm-hmm. So so we were doing beyond that, but I think mm-hmm. they envisioned like this year-long vacation. <laughs> Be nice, right? Yeah. Um, but I think we always expect that our experience of God is going to be in some big, grand way. And I think yes. that has to do with calling, right? Yeah, because uh, I know I want, I think a lot of people want like this big Damascus Road experience or, or something. And some people have those but not a lot of people, right? not everyone has them. And even those who have them. Damascus Road was one day in Paul's life. And yeah. there are some other pretty big moments. But there are also a lot of days that are probably pretty ordinary. It's a travel day, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, or days that are pretty horrible by our yeah. standards. Yeah. Being beaten and persecuted. Yeah. Moses... There are some big days, mm-hmm. and there are also a lot of very ordinary days mm-hmm. with a stiff-necked people, mm-hmm. you know. Mm. And um, I love asking people about their stories yeah. because when they start to tell you about their story, there are some big moments along the way 
But I think they start to recognize, and I start to recognize, a lot of it's just the daily, ordinary, these are the people who I've spent my life with. Mm-hmm. And I can't mm-hmm. tell you the moment mm-hmm. that changed that relationship mm-hmm. you know, or that changed my life. Mm-hmm. It just happened all along the way. Yeah. So what happened? You said Mike came back three times. Yeah. I'm going back a little bit right. in, in our conversation. You said Mike came back three times to you, and the third time you said yes. Like, what changed? My heart. Mm-hmm. Maybe. There was a, there was a change in my uh, attitude toward the future. Mm-hmm which was um, I, I was looking, you know, I was looking back at some of the things that were daily and imperfect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and still allowing those to cloud out, this is good. Yes. And it's for you. And it, so like, it, it's yeah. like, and this is a gift for you. Wow, yeah. Um. And I think that whole six months prior had prepared my heart to be able to make that turn. Mm -hmm. The reason that I I spent that on gratitude was I had just recognized that before we left, I'd gotten to a point of quite a bit of cynicism, Mm -hmm. very quick frustration, and said, I need to be able to pull back, Mm -hmm. look with a bigger lens at um, life. Yeah. And said I need to focus on gratitude. And so I wrote a bunch of thank you notes. Yeah. And in the process, just recognizing how much I had to be thankful for. Yeah. So what was the role of gratitude in kind of changing your heart? It was taking my nose off the particular tree that it was on and stepping back and looking at the hole Mm -hmm. and recognizing that, yes, there were – particular frustrating moments, particular times that things didn't go as I hoped, Mm. that I didn't get my way. Mm -hmm. But when I looked back at the hole, there were so many people and events and opportunities to be grateful for. Oh my goodness, yes. I'm thinking about my own life while you're saying, yeah, yeah. But when you have your nose up against that one tree, Mm -hmm. and, and this is some of even that dailiness of life, you just... You, you let the events of the day hit you. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to step back and look at the hole and say, oh, a lot's happened here that I missed. Yeah. Because I got myself so focused on that one thing or those few yeah. things. And this is where, so we have these catechesis groups that uh, occasionally a leader will come to me. These groups come and they share about their lives and mm-hmm. their, their faith and faith development. And leaders will come to me occasionally and say, I don't think anything's happening. We were, <laughs> yeah. we were just stuck. Yeah. And, and even sometimes really frustrated or even angry. Like these people, mm-hmm. they're just the same as they were a year ago. <laughs> Nothing is happening yeah. in their lives. And what I've learned to do really from my own experience feeling the same way mm-hmm. is to encourage them to have a time where they don't focus on the past week, but let's take a big chunk of time, talk about the past year and say, Oh Yeah. Today, rather than sharing about your week mm-hmm. and and how and your current state, let's look back. How are you 
different than you were a year ago. Yeah. And leaders constantly come to back to me just shocked. Like, they are growing. <laughs> Something's happening. It's so hard but to they, see sometimes. They had yeah. to take their nose off the tree yeah. and see see that bigger thing. That's and I think idea. gratitude forces us away because we don't fixate on gratitude. No. Uh, that That's the whole – you receive – 10 compliments and one criticism and you're going to fixate on the criticism. Absolutely. Yeah. So by naming that you're going to be grateful, it forces you to quit fixating on the criticism mm -hmm. and recognize everything else that's happening. Mm. And yeah. so, I mean, with calling, yeah, is there some way to change our fixation on, am I doing it right? Am I doing the right thing? Yes. And just turn to gratitude for God, you've put me here. And here are the good things that have come in that. And that doesn't necessarily need, mean that we've got to stay forever. Right, right. But to view the present moment as a gift and not just something we're trying to make it through until the next moment. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I mean by the dailiness of life. The present moment is a gift. Absolutely. Yeah. Even if we wouldn't call it perfect. I mean... Life is just not perfect, though. No. And we, I, I want it to be. I don't know about everybody else, but I definitely do. And so uh, sitting with our daughter with appendicitis about to have surgery mm -hmm. to get her appendix removed. Mm -hmm. In that moment, I was not calling that a gift. <laughs> right? No. <laughs> right? No. And I... I wouldn't have, I still wouldn't say, yeah, if we could go back, I'd love for that to happen. Mm -hmm. But that moment now I can look at, and there, there was a gift in that moment, just that, mm -hmm. that time even together, um, on my, my grandfather on his deathbed, mm -hmm. that time with him in the hospital room was hard, yeah. but that's a, it was a gift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's okay to not see those in the moment. But at some point, we need to see them as gifts. Yeah. You said it was making you think of all the things you get your nose up against. Yeah, and it was making me think about the things that I have to be grateful for. Mm. That when work does become a drudgery or – because it does for everybody, I think. I don't think I'm abnormal no. in being like, oh, I've got to do this today. Whether it's Monday through Friday or a chore I have to do on Saturday, you know. It's, you know. Um, but yeah, but all the good – in that too. So I actually haven't been super faithful all the time doing it, but try to write down at least three things I'm grateful for uh. every day. And, um, I think happiness, happiness isn't the goal, but I'm um, joy is, but I call it happiness. And so I write down three things too, that I'm like, I felt happy when this happened, which may seem kind of ridiculous, but it's, you know, I'm like, this, it helps me focus on the good things that have been happening in my day because I'm like, there's, I have so much good and so much to be thankful for. And I get hung up on, well, this project or that or whatever. And I'm like, this is kind of boring. Like, why can't I just go do that? That's what I really want to be doing, you know? So. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's always that looking ahead. Yeah. That. Yeah. Why am I stuck here rather yeah. than somewhere else? And it could be at the seminary. It could be anywhere. Like, you know, I don't think for people like facing a transition, I mean, sometimes it can be like your friend with his job that he's, he hates. But I think some transitions, you look at it and you think, 
oh, if I was over here doing this, I would be happy. Right. But you take your problems or like the thing, there'll be things you dislike once you get there too. That constant jumping to the next thing, which is really interesting because uh, Rebecca Kanendik DeYoung, are you familiar with her? She Mm-mm. wrote this brilliant book called Glittering Vices. Ah. I think it, it may be the book I've recommended most. Okay. And when she talks about sloth, mm-hmm. she talks about how sloth can, um, sloth isn't just laziness in mm-hmm. the classical way. It's not just laying on the couch. Mm-hmm. In fact, it might look l- like a lot of activity. Mm-hmm. She says sloth is avoiding, the, the, uh, it, it's laziness about love. It's avoiding some of the hardest, deepest work. And I think sloth for some of us can come in the form of constantly jumping to the next thing because it, that's easier yeah, than you can sticking avoid the something har- out. Yeah. yeah. When you ride something out, mm-hmm. you're going to go through difficult, challenging times, mm-hmm. but you have to go through that mm-hmm. to really arrive at any sort of depth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. You were talking about you're walking through the process of calling with somebody right now. What do you tell the, those people who come to you and are like, how do I know what I'm called? Like, are there practical things that you tell them to do or what, what, what do you, what does that process look like? It's very personal. It depends so much on where somebody's starting. For sure. Yeah. A lot of times I'll at least pretty early on try to say, I'm not certain that God cares which you will choose. Whoa. Uh, which is just <laughs> because we get so hung on what if I make the wrong decision from the, the get off the tracks decision, right? Yes. As if Chicago or New York only has one answer, you know? Yeah. Is it possible that God has laid these before you as gifts and whichever direction you go, you can live a godly life and honor God in it. And so early on, there's some like, is, is either of these any direct defiance of the will of God in your life? Is there anything where, you know, God wants this, but you're running another direction. Uh huh. And if somebody says, Oh yeah, that I'm, I'm doing this at a purely selfish motive. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. this is a really easy decision. Yeah. Yeah. But if they're just struggling with which is best, let's take let's take the one will of God off the table as <laughs> right. where we begin. Because I feel like I don't know one of one of the things I was thinking about as I prepared for the interview is um, getting stuck in your decision making process and being like, well, there's this, this, and this, and how do I know which is the right one? So how do you get from being stuck to being unstuck and being able to move forward. And I want to say live your life, but you're living all the time anyway, but you know what I mean, you know, <laughs> you have to take a next step. Yeah. 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 So, so there's that. And we as Wesleyans have to our advantage that, uh, we, we don't necessarily believe that God has predestined and sketched it mm-hmm. all out for mm-hmm. us. Um, I guess even if you believe that you, you believe that whatever you're going to do next, it's going to be all right Mm -hmm. or or according to God's plan. But for us, 
we don't have to wrestle with that constant anxiety. And I think it, it goes back to anxiety almost mm-hmm. every time. Mm-hmm. We don't have to wrestle with that, that God has made a plan and we could screw the whole thing up. That gives us an awful lot of power if you think about it, like that we could screw it all up. Right. God's plan, you know. I have a friend who told me that Wesleyan theology should lead to better art. I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, you know, some other theological systems are very strong and clear and might make for good engineering, Uh build a good building. (laughs) He said, but Wesleyan theology, it allows us to to celebrate Uh creation, creativity. And with that... I think it's better to look at our lives a bit that way. There's not one way to paint this picture. Yeah. And and how much more fun. Maybe this is why I'm using words like delight and enjoy. Mm -hmm. This isn't paint by number. And it's not like. If you color outside the lines, it's like bad. Yeah. You screwed the whole thing up. That was supposed to be blue. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What were you thinking? Right. That's not how this works. Uh, we've mm-hmm. we've been given a, a a canvas to paint on, and there are a lot of ways to create beauty. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that would still be off limits. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So, like back to the process that we were talking about before, I kind of sidetracked us a little bit, but I think it's all connected. Um, you were you ask the people that you're counseling, um, is there something you know you're supposed to do and you're not doing it? So. If there's not, then what? You know? Like. Yeah. If there's not, then what? So I have the friend mm-hmm. who is not doing something because he feels like an imposter. Mm-hmm. Though he's not. And <laughs> and so all the next questions with him were, do you, do you not enjoy this? Are, are you miserable at the end of it? Or is there something in your life where you really shouldn't be doing this? Like, for instance, a, a pastor who is living a life that is not exemplary. Right. That's not imposter syndrome. That's imposter. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference. Yeah, yeah, the, for sure. The, this is someone who's just saying, who am I to do this? And I said, is there something going on in your life that you really should not be in this particular role? Mm-hmm. He goes, no, I just, I don't know if I'm fully qualified. Oh. And so for him, I'm uh-huh. able to say, look at the community around you. And then there's the opposite, which is so... Emily, my wife, uh-huh. is a physical therapist, and uh-huh. I frequently say, you you could be a great administrator. Uh-huh. And she says, I would hate my life <laughs> if I were an administrator. Yeah. And she's right. And this isn't – so it's not, oh, who am I to do that? It's I would come home every day miserable, yeah. and I believe our world's going to be okay without her coming home every day miserable because she was a, a, an mm-hmm. administrator. She mm-hmm. has the giftings for it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't match her temperament. <laughs> and even if her friends all say, hey, you could do this for her, yeah, I would live in misery. And I don't think we have to look at that and say, but but to God be the glory mm-hmm. while you suffer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so you see how differently those conversations go? Yes, I do. Yeah. And with each one, I, I think we have to ask all these questions like, what is holding you back from a particular decision? Or what's making you anxious about your current state? Right. Because I think sometimes we can want to move on, 
because we feel like, I think especially in American culture, we feel like we should always be moving to the next thing. There should always be something better. There should be a different degree. There should be a career transition. And I think that goes back to what you were saying about it's all about self-fulfillment and selfishness. Right. I mean, it's not, none of those things are bad. I mean. No, they're, it's fine. It's yeah. fine. But there's a deeper goal here. And this is where I just heard Jim Collins. He's the guy who wrote Good to Great. Okay. He talked about uh, meeting with Peter Drucker toward the end of his life. Okay. And he asked something. His last question to him was about how he could repay him. Mm-hmm. And he said, Peter Drucker ends up saying, I want to change one thing about how you're viewing things or mm-hmm. how about you're asking que- how you're asking questions. He said, you seem very interested in survival. He said, I'm pretty sure you're going to survive. <laughs> he said, and you, you seem interested in success, pursuing success. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think that's the question. He said, I think the question you need to ask is how can I be useful? Oh. Yeah. And he said, those are the last words Peter Drucker ever said to me. He gets out of the door, he says that, and he shuts the door. That's it. Wow. <laughs> like, uh, this mic drop moment. Yeah. What a and great question, though. What a question. And this is secular world, mm-hmm. management sort of stuff that I think still applies to us. Isn't this – so many of us were scared about survival. Mm-hmm. So our anxiety is what if I don't make it? Yeah. Or we're scared that we're not going to be successful enough. Mm, Yes. We weren't all we could be, you know? Yeah. And to instead ask how we can be useful, and I think for us as Christians that begins with Mm -hmm. we are, we're children of God. Mm Mm-hmm. And God delights in using us. Mm Mm-hmm. And we should work really hard. But I think that's different than worrying really hard about whether we're doing it right. Yeah. I think sometimes we mistake the two. We we worry really hard and we think we're doing good work, hard work, <laughs> right? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. So that's been helpful to me just in asking. So yeah. um, God is going to be okay without me. Like, Which, yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing. I mean, we are not God. Like... We, I think we think sometimes we are and how we look at our decisions, but you're absolutely right. Right. So God will be okay without me. but uh, And so even the how can I be useful isn't like what will God ever do without me. Right. But also God, God's created me and put me here and today's a gift. And mm-hmm. now how can I use it to delight in and glorify God? Yeah. It takes a lot of the pressure off. Yeah. 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 And if you screw it up today... Get up again and try tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and not even try tomorrow. I mean, there, there's that I- empty yourself. and Yeah. Allow God to, to use you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I, we're almost out of time, so I'm going to end with, unless there's anything else we haven't touched on that you're like, I really want to leave people with this, this nugget. So. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know that I have any nuggets. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm fascinated with the process. I'm fascinated just even to hear your process in it yeah uh in in trying to determine am i doing what i should do and what does it mean if there's no second calling right i yes yeah what does that is this an unfulfilled life right that is one of my biggest fears that i'll get to be 70 years old and look back on my life and be like 
man, like I did nothing, you know, not even like, not like big dreams of winning a Nobel prize. That's not even it. Mm -hmm. But just feel like, man, like, cause I look at other people, like my parents are in their seventies right now. And so I look at their lives and I'm like, you guys, like you had a great life. You've been married almost 15 years. Like you've served Jesus. Like, you know, and I was thinking about it when you were talking. I was like, my dad does whatever it takes to be useful. Uh. Sometimes to his own detriment, you know? So there has to be balance. But, um, but so I look at their lives and I'm like, it's good. But like they were very ordinary lives, if you want to call it that. Like they didn't set out to do big things. But my fear is I'll get to being 70 and I'll be like, um, yeah, I did nothing. <laughs> That's it. What an ordinary life I led. Yeah. Uh, so... I just sat with a group of seminarians two hours ago and asked them why they ended up here, essentially. Yeah, why are you at question. seminary? What what were the things that happened, the influences mm-hmm. in your life? Mm-hmm. And most of them, what the story was filled with was ordinary people. Mm. Those ordinary people in their lives mm-hmm. who invested in them, mm-hmm. who noticed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and those people are part of other people's histories mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. They, I don't know that they were trying to achieve greatness, and if they had tried too hard to achieve greatness, they probably wouldn't have been part of those stories today. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I have three questions that I'm ending every podcast oh, interview, interview with. Um, you're going to get four because you're the owner, one of the co-owners of North Lime. So I'm curious about what your favorite donut is. Uh, <laughs> that is an easy question. <laughs> yeah? It's the winner of the 2019 Donut Madness. I picked it because it was my favorite, and I was sure everyone else would love it. It's the blueberry glazed. Ooh. It's, it's a simple donut, but it is so good. That sounds amazing. We get them every once in a while in the office, and yeah. it's always a treat. I love it. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so what is one practice, spiritual or otherwise, that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Sabbath. Mm, and what does that mean? It means... From Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown. Mm-hmm. At its best, uh, you know how I know 90% of it is whether I'm looking at a screen. Uh, so true. <laughs> uh, because I'm looking at a screen with the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. um, so, for instance, if somebody ended up in the hospital from mm-hmm. my congregation on a Saturday, I'd probably show up. And I wouldn't feel like, oh, this is a violation of Sabbath. I'm not supposed to be working today. But when I'm looking at a screen, I'm usually Hmm. just trying to take care of things that I spend the rest of my life taking care of. And I think part of what Sabbath does for me is, again, reminds me that somehow God's going to make it without me. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. This gives you a break, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's – well, it's been – deeply formative for me Mm -hmm. because uh, it's hard for me to sit still. Yes, absolutely. And Sabbath isn't always literally sitting still, but uh, I think the the things that torment me most here as we're talking about self-actualization, realization, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. what could I be getting done in this moment that I'm not? I have those thoughts all the time. Yeah, yeah. And... um, 
it's very damaging to relationship mm -hmm. because if you spend an hour just sitting with somebody, surely you could have checked that off in 15 minutes and gotten 45 minutes worth of work done, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah. Very good. Um, what book are you reading right now? Uh, I'm finishing reading uh, Fleming Rutledge's The Crucifixion with a group. Mm -hmm. This is my second read through it, and it's better than the first read. Ooh, yeah. I've been reading pretty much everything she's written over the last few months. Okay. And just went and saw her speak at Wheaton uh, cool. last week. And uh, she is – so when you talk about um, – <clears throat> What have I done with my life? Uh -huh. I look at her now as she's kind of ending her speaking mm -hmm. uh, career. Uh, I think she may be the greatest living preacher. Wow. Um, uh, this incredible theologian. And I look and go, oh, that's, she has, she's done it. Yeah. So. Yeah. What's something that's still on your bucket list? Something that you really want to do, like somewhere you really want to go or... Yeah, uh, small and simple answer is the Grand Canyon. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've wanted to do that as family um, and haven't. I feel like that's a pretty small bucket list thing. <laughs> no, it's, there's it's nothing I've, too small, too big. Got, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming by today, Teddy. I have really enjoyed our conversation and just appreciate you taking the time. So yeah. thanks. Thank you. y'all thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with teddy ray grateful for his insight and the way our conversation has prompted me to look at my own calling differently i hope you enjoyed it as well in our next episode dr craig keener renowned new testament scholar joins us to talk about his journey from being an atheist to profoundly experiencing the presence of christ New podcast episodes release every other week, and you won't want to miss out. Subscribe in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. You can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great day, y'all, and go do something that helps you thrive. <laughs>